Let me say this. What do you think about that music? Huh? Let me just answer this question maybe some of you may be asking is. That first tune, Ronnie, now uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but was that Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses? Uh, Yes, it was. (laughs) Some of you may be saying, well, that's not a very spiritual song. It is to me. Hey, think about it. How do you think God refers to you? Don't you think he refers to you as Sweet Child of Mine? Huh? Right? Is that, that may be a stretch. Listen, you got your Bible now. Screen screen's not working, right? If you got your Bible, turn to Luke chapter five, verse seventeen. Luke chapter five, verse seventeen. If you didn't bring your Bible and somebody close by dead, you can just screen up next to them, take a look, and uh, we're going to read this story together. Now, this morning, you're going to learn a lesson about Jesus, and if you get it, really get it. It's going to make a big difference in the lives of those who are closest to you. That's right. Where we're going to learn this lesson? We're going to learn it in this story. We're going to read it together. Before we do, let me tell you what's happening. Somewhere in close proximity to the town of Capernaum, there are five men who are really good friends. I don't know how they met. Bible doesn't say. Maybe they played high school football together, or they were part of the same fraternity. Maybe they did a stint in the military together. I don't know. I do know that one of them had fallen on hard times. He was completely paralyzed. I don't know how that happened. The Bible doesn't say. Maybe it was a car accident. Maybe a war injury, the result of a work, maybe the result of a debilitating disease. I don't know. But I know that he was suffering physically, and I'm going to just imagine that he was suffering psychologically. Perhaps he was at a point in his life where he felt like everything was working against him, but that wasn't true. He had four friends who were working for him. I believe these four friends would have done anything they could to alleviate his suffering. But what could they do? They're just men. Well, one of them apparently learned about Jesus. Heard about his power, his abilities, the miracles, the healings. And he shared this information with the other three guys and said, you know, I think Jesus can help our paralyzed buddy. I not only think he can, I'm confident he would. And they must have come to a consensus that they all agreed on this, that there was a big problem. How do we get him to Jesus? In my imagination, I, I hear one of them say, if I have to, I'll carry him. Another one must have chimed in and said, I'd do it too. All four agreed 
let's do it. They had to go to the man, spend his life on a mat. I believe they told him about Jesus, what they'd been hearing, told him about their faith. We believe this guy is going to help you. Do we have your permission to take you to him? And apparently he said, absolutely. And so these four men grabbed a corner. Each one grabbed a corner of the mat and they picked up their buddy. And they were aware that Jesus was teaching in Capernaum, so they set out on their little journey, filled with hope that at the end of this journey would be a miracle for their friend. Now, with that in mind, I want us to read verse number 17. If you don't have your Bible, I want you to listen carefully to me. One day, while Jesus was teaching, some Pharisees and teachers of religious law were sitting nearby. It seemed that these men showed up from every village in all Galilee and Judea, as well as from Jerusalem. Listen to this. And the Lord's healing power was strongly with Jesus. Mark chapter 2 is a parallel chapter to Luke chapter 5. In other words, in Mark's gospel, he was writing about the same things in chapter 2 that Luke's writing about in chapter 5. And he tells us that Jesus was staying at a house in Capernaum. And when people learned where Jesus was staying, people showed up in droves. And they, so many people came into the house, you couldn't squeeze another person in sideways. And then people began to assemble at the door until this huge crowd had gathered at the house where Jesus was staying. And Jesus began to teach. Now, in this crowd, there was a group of guys named Pharisees. And Pharisees uh, were a religious group. As a matter of fact, they were probably the most influential religious group of this day. They were known for their extensive list of do's and don'ts. Now, their list included, of course, the laws of God. All the thou shalts and thou shalt nots of the Old Testament were a part of their list, but their list was much longer than that. Pharisees loved to make up additional rules and add them to God's rules. Every year. You just about bank on it. They were adding to the list. And they would give, they would oftentimes consider their rules just as important, if not more important, than God's rules. Have you ever known anybody like that? I remember, I remember when I got saved. I got saved in January when spring came. I remember we got up one Sunday morning, we'd go to church, had a great service. We came home, had one of those big Sunday dinners. And uh, there was a farm pond behind our house. So I decided to go up and do some fishing. I had a great day of fishing. I kind of expected you to buzz me right there, huh? If you're visiting, I'll explain that later. I had a great day of fishing. I, I come home. I clean up. I go to church. We're talking, I'm talking to this guy, and he says, uh, Ronnie, did you get your nap in today? I said, no, I didn't. I went fishing. Well, the look on his face looked as though I had called his mother a bad name. He went, you did what? I said, "Uh, man, I went fishing. He said, you know better than that. Oh, no, I didn't. I didn't know why. (laughs) 
He said, it is a sin to fish on the Lord's Sabbath. Don't you ever do that again. Let me tell you what, it was years before I fished on Sunday again. He scared me. Listen, I was so scared I wouldn't even clean out my tackle box on Sundays. Well, let me tell you what I did. I read the Bible. Have you ever wished you could back up the clock and respond to a conversation the way you really, if you had known it was coming, you, you know what I'd like to say to that guy? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you do. Of course, i got to tone it down. We are in church. You know what I'd like to say to him? Listen to me, okay? You say it's a sin to fish on the Lord's Sabbath. I'm not going to split hairs with you. I don't know if it was for a Jew to fish on the Sabbath, but I do know this Sunday ain't the Sabbath. Did you know that? Sunday, according to the Bible, is the first day of the week. What's the Sabbath? Saturday. This is what I'd like to say to him. Hey, I fished on Sunday. I didn't do anything wrong. Bible doesn't say anything about fishing on the first day of the week. However, if you fished yesterday and you feel that fishing on the Sabbath is a sin, you sinned. And I tell you what I'd do. I'd get on my knees and I'd beg for forgiveness before you split hell wide open. Can you tell I'm still a little bit bitter about all those Sundays I didn't get to go fishing? Where'd that come from? Somebody made a law. Passed that law down as though it were God's law. He believed that law. He wanted me to abide by that law. So that's what the Pharisees, they, they, had, they added these things, and then there were the teachers of the law, and there were the guys who were the experts in the list. I guess you could call them sin police. You ever had an, have you ever wondered if something was a sin? You go to the guys, is this wrong? Is this right? Listen, you probably didn't have to go to them and ask. They were probably waiting to tell you everything you were doing wrong. You ever known anybody like that? Mm-hmm. So you got these Pharisees, you got the teachers of law, they're sitting in the crowd. You know why they were there? They didn't come with an open mind because they wanted to listen and learn something and, and grow from the experience. They came because they wanted to listen to Jesus carefully and hopefully find something they could use to discredit him so that they could prove he wasn't who he said he was. So they're sitting there with their little notebooks. They got their pencils out. They're making their notes. Look what happens next, verse number 18. Remember now, we got some guys en route to Capernaum, right? Verse 18, some men came carrying a paralyzed man on a sleeping mat. They tried to take him inside to Jesus, but they couldn't reach him because of what? Look at, oh, you can't see it on screen, but I just, the crowd. So what do these guys do? They went up on the roof and took off some tiles. They lowered the sick man on his mat down into the crowd right in front of Jesus. So here they come. I don't know how far they had to carry him. But uh, I tell you what, any of us four guys could throw any of our friends on a mat and carry him any considerable distance, and I will promise you, we're tired. So here come these guys, I imagine just drenched with sweat, arms trembling, and a man, they make it to the house, and there is a huge crowd. Can, can you just see them walking up and tapping some of the soldiers and say, hey, uh, we've got our buddy here, he's paralyzed, we really need to get him in there to Jesus. Well, apparently, you know what they said? Sorry. I mean, I'm listening. I came to hear what Jesus got to say. I, 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 I got my place staked out. Maybe they moved down. You know, hey, listen, we got our buddy here. He's paralyzed. We're really, you know, hey, 
If that was important to you, you should have got here early. I got here early to get my place. I'm not budging. I'm not moving. You know what would have been so easy for these four men? is to say, well, we gave it our best. We tried. Uh, sorry, pal. Now, these men were determined. One of them looked at the other and says, I got an idea. Let's go around the back of the house. Now, their houses typically had a staircase leading up to the roof because they used the roof. And so they, they go up to, on the roof, and I, I can just see them, you know, putting their buddy down. A guy takes off a backpack, unzips it. He's got rope, and he's got tools. And I believe he looked at the other guy and said, let me tell you something. I anticipated we could run into a problem, so I came prepared. The guys start taking these tiles off. They, they start taking the tiles off. They start cutting out the thatch in the roof. I've always pictured Jesus sitting there teaching, and you got dust dropping down from the ceiling, and you know, in a minute you got this little shaft of light, and then another shaft of light, and next thing you know, man, whether the owner of the house wanted or not, he's got a skylight in the living room. And these guys attach the rope to the mat. They lower their buddy right down, right there in front of Jesus. Now here in front of Jesus is a paralyzed man full of hope. Peering through this new skylight are four of his best friends peering down at their buddy and Jesus, and they're filled with hope. What happens? Verse number 20, seeing their faith, Jesus said to the man, young man, your sins are forgiven. Now, the first thing that caught me about that verse is seeing their faith. What is faith? Faith is confidence that Jesus can and we'll do something. And the Bible said Jesus saw their faith. Whose faith? Well, he saw this man's faith, the paralyzed man. But he saw the faith of these four men. Yes, Ronnie, how do you see faith? The Bible teaches that faith works or faith takes action. So you may not be able to see faith, but you can see the results it produces. You can see the actions of someone who has faith. And Jesus said, by your actions, I see you're expecting something. You be- you're believing something. Jesus said, so I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll honor your faith. Be healed. Didn't say that, did he? He said, young man, I forgive you. What are you thinking if you're this guy? What's up with that? (laughs) I can just hear one of the guys shouting down from the skylight, "Uh, uh, Jesus, Jesus, in case you didn't pick up on it, he's paralyzed. The man's paralyzed. We need you to heal him. What was Jesus doing? Jesus recognized he had a much greater need than physical healing. He needed to be forgiven. This was no saint on the mat. This was a sinner. Jesus knew. This man's done some things that are wrong. In his lifetime, he's done some things he's accountable for. He's done some things that one day he's going to have to pay for. So you know what he says to him? I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to issue a complete pardon. You a complete pardon. I'm canceling your debt. You're no longer accountable. Anything you've done, you're not going to have to pay for it anywhere down the road. I forgive you. Now when those religious guys heard him say this, how did they react? Look at verse number 21. But the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law said to themselves, 
Who does he think he is? That's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. When they heard Jesus say, Son, I forgive you, they went nuts. Why? It's the very kind of thing they were looking for. Now, they had their theology correct in in this regard, that only God has the authority to forgive sins. They just understood that Jesus appeared to be executing that authority, therefore claiming himself to be God. They thought this was blasphemy. In other words, the most heinous sin that that Jesus could have committed because if you claim to be God, you're slandering the name of God. So man, they're ticked off. Look what Jesus did. Verse number 22. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them. Now, let's not blow over that. Jesus knew what they were thinking, so he asked them, why do you question this in your hearts? You see what Jesus just did? These religious guys are all bummed out, and Jesus read their mind. And then he told them what they were thinking. Now, these guys are upset because this guy claims to be God and they don't believe he is God. Well, if he wasn't God, how did he know what they were thinking? He's already proven to them that he is God. Just, just in that split second, but what he did, he's proven that he's more than a man and more than a prophet. He's got to be God. But they didn't miss that. They needed more. So Jesus asked them a question. Verse number 23, he asked, Is it easier to say your sins are forgiven or stand up and walk? So I will prove to you that the Son of Man, or me, I, have the authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Three commands here, stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. That question's a little hard to understand, which is easier to say. I'll give you the paraphrase. Jesus asked those men, what would I have to do to prove to you that I am God? Forgive him or heal him? Now, Jesus could read their minds, so apparently this is what they're thinking. Well, you can say you can forgive him, and we can't. If it really happened, we couldn't see that. But if you healed him, we could see it. And so apparently they're thinking the healing would work for us. So Jesus says, okay. Watch this. So he speaks to this paralyzed man. He gives him three commands. At that point, i got to believe that every eye in the building turned to this man. Look at verse 25. And immediately, as everyone watched, the man jumped up picked up his mat, and went home praising God. Notice what we didn't read there. It didn't say that this man grabbed the back of a chair and struggling with every ounce of strength that was in him, he managed to drag himself to his feet where he held on for dear life to the back of that chair. It didn't say that, did it? It said he jumped up. I tell you, this man sprang to his feet. He obeyed the first commandment. Second commandment was pick up that mat. He reaches down, rolls up the mat, puts the mat on his shoulder. Third command was start on your way home. He turns and starts walking out the door. He adds a fourth one to it. He begins to praise God. With every step he took, he's praising God. He's so relieved. He's so blessed. He's so happy. He's so grateful. He can't contain it. He's praising God as he goes out the back door. How was everybody else acting? Look at verse 26. 
everyone was gripped with great wonder and awe, and they praised God, exclaiming, we have seen amazing things today. Listen, the next few moments, you've got to use your imagination with me, okay? I want you to picture yourself in that room when this is going down. Kind of look around that room in, in your mind, in your imagination. Look around that room. What do you see? I'll tell you what I see. When this man stood up, began to walk out that door, eyes popped. Jaws dropped. Tears fell. Hands raised. Voices exclaimed, This is amazing. I stopped looking around and look up. Look up at that skylight. You see those four faces? I do. You see the tears coming down their cheeks and dripping all the way down into the floor of that house? You see the big smile plastered across their face? I do. Listen carefully. Do you hear them? Because I believe in just a few moments you heard their footsteps as they danced with joy on that roof over what they had seen Jesus do in their friend's life. I believe it was a moment that they treasured for the rest of their lives. Now, before we stop looking around in the room in your imagination, uh, let's not forget these religious guys. Do you see them? I do. Stone-faced. Red-faced. And if you listen carefully, you may hear them cussing under their breath. You say, why? They came to find a reason to discredit Jesus and prove that he wasn't who he claimed to be. And I'll just be doggoned if Jesus didn't walk up there and prove beyond a shadow of a doubt who he was. That he really was who he claimed to be. Now what do we learn in this story? Here's the lesson. Jesus is the difference maker. They had a little meeting. Several people came. Jesus taught the Bible. At the end of that meeting, there was a guy that walked out of there different. He came being carried on a mat and he left carrying the mat that he'd been carried on. I believe he came mired into the depths of depression and left there praising God. Spiritually, he is different, Ray. He's forgiven. Physically, He's different. He's healed. Emotionally, he's different. He's not depressed. He's absolutely elated. Here lay a man who at one just a moment ago was at his wit's end, who's now at a new beginning. I tell you what, he's walking in to the to probably the best chapter of his life. What made the difference in this guy? That's not the right question. Who made the difference? Jesus made the difference. Jesus is the difference maker. 
Everywhere he went, you could tell when Jesus had come through town because he left people different than he found them. I tell you, when Jesus left town, those who had been blind were seen, seen sitting on the park bench reading the local paper. Those who had been lame were, were seen at the local sporting goods stores buying running shoes. Jesus always left people different than he found them. I say, Ronnie, do you think he's still the difference maker? Absolutely. You ask, well, how, what's your evidence? You. I see some of you. I've known you. And I see the difference. And I know who made the difference. Jesus made all the difference. Because he's the difference maker. Not only to be good news to us, I'm going to tell you why. Everybody in here has got someone in your world just like this paralyzed man. Somebody that you love dearly. Somebody you grieve for. Somebody you're concerned about. Somebody who needs something different to happen in their life. Every one of us have got somebody like that. You wish there was something that could be done. Well, I want you to know there is something that can be done. There's someone who can make a difference in the lives of your children and your friends and your co-workers. Jesus can. He's the difference maker. So here's what I'm suggesting we do. Let's get people to Jesus. Jesus made the difference in this man's life. But what if these four friends hadn't got him to Jesus? Jesus never would have had a chance to do that. Their role was to get their friend to Jesus. His role was to make the difference in this man's life. Do you understand that nothing has changed today? Sometimes I grieve because I don't see people being saved. I mean, just, just really transformed, maybe like I did 25 years ago. I'm coming to understand the problem is not Jesus. He's still the difference maker. The problem might be us. I'm not sure we're willing to do what these four men do and pull out all the stops and do whatever it takes to get our friends to Jesus. But I am suggesting that if that's the case, we change today. And we do whatever it takes to get people to Jesus. So, Ron, how do you do that? I'm going to give you four steps, and they come straight from this story. I've just looked at this, these four men and how they do it, and, and what they did is what I want us to do. You want to, you want to get people to Jesus? Here's what it takes. Number one, start with a person. I know that sounds stupid. What do you mean start with a person? Of course you start with a person. Sometimes I hear this. I hear people go, my goal is to win my community. Good. won't work. And as long as that's your goal, you're probably never going to get anyone to Jesus. Why? Your target's too vague. You've got to narrow your target. I don't, use, I don't mean that in a cold way. Here's what I'm saying is, there's someone in your world with a name and a face and a mailing address with issues and problems and needs. A real person. Start with them. Try to get one person to Jesus. 
Second, work with the team. Could any one of these men have pulled this off on his own? No, sir. They had to work together. And if you say, I'm going in alone, I'm going to try this by myself, you, you may get somebody to Jesus, but you'll be much more effective if you work together with others. Outreach, if that's what you want to call it, is much more effective if we do it as a team. I believe that every husband and wife ought to try to work together to get people to Jesus. I believe that every one of our life groups ought to work together to try to get others to Jesus. And I tell you what, I know I know this church has got to work together in order to get people to Jesus. We've got to work as a team. Third thing I'd tell you to do is do your part on that team. Whatever your part is, I want you to do it. And some of we got responsibilities, and some of us, you know, for all of us, we have the responsibility to be men and women of integrity, to live right, to practice what we preach. You want to keep people away from Jesus? Be a hypocrite. Buddy, that'll do it. Every one of us have the responsibility to pray for, you know, for people who need Jesus to do something in their, in their lives. Every one of us ought to be occasionally in an appropriate time and manner inviting people to come to church with us. But I believe in particular on Sunday mornings when most unchurched people or unsaved people are likely to be here, every one of us have got a corner of the mat we need to have in our hands that we're carrying. For you it might be working with the kids and making sure that you think about what an experience it would be if you haven't ever been to church or you haven't been to church in 20 years and you're about to come back to church for the first time in two decades. Do you understand how intimidating that would be? Let me tell you what some of our people here do. The corner of their mat is being parking lot attendants or working in the nursery or teaching those kids. I think that this worship team's got a corner of the mat I think everybody here has got a corner of the mat. You've got something you need to be doing. And perhaps on Sunday morning, your goal is to have the firmest handshake, the brightest smile, and to issue the warmest welcome that you possibly can so that people feel comfortable coming here and hearing the message about Jesus Christ. Do your part. Fourthly, never give up. These old guys ran into an obstacle. They could easily lay their buddy down and said, Sorry, they did not. And when you and I try to get people to Jesus, we're going to run into obstacles and we cannot quit. You know why? Our friends are worth the effort. When you run into an obstacle, you simply pray about how to get around that obstacle and you keep trying to get people to Jesus. Now, if we will do this, you know what's going to happen? We're going to see Jesus make an incredible difference in the lives of the people who are closest to us. It's going to happen. Am I right, Scott? And when that happens, you and I are going to share moments like those four men shared on that roof. Unforgettable moments that mark our lives. When we were an eyewitness to Jesus doing something miraculous in the lives of people were the closest to us. I've had those moments. I crave more. That's what I prayed for this week. God, I've been there and I've seen you change friends of mine. I want to see it more often. I want us to share it more often. 
Have you ever been standing in the presence of a friend and Christ changed them forever? There's nothing like it. You know, I had the most incredible experience just a few moments ago. I, I, it's been hard for me to preach. I, I, I couldn't hardly worship. I, 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 my mind's going crazy. I asked for permission to tell you this story. Just a few minutes ago, Roger. Roger, wave your hand. Scott brought Roger. Roger came up to me a minute ago in the foyer and said, I'd like to know how to be saved. What has a person got to do to be saved? I'm not the brightest bulb in the pack, but I thought that might be an opportunity for me to help him get to Jesus. We went in my office together. Roger accepted Christ. was there I felt it what a moment and I want you to have those moments Jesus wants you to have those moments he's the difference maker so let's get people to him I'm going to ask that everybody bow your head and everyone close their eyes. One of the ways that I feel like we carry people or we get people to Jesus, one of the most effective ways is through prayer. Every one of you have got someone in your life who's been heavy on your heart. You're not their judge, but you are their friend. Maybe you're their parent. Maybe they're your parent. Maybe it's your spouse. But you, here's what you know. Man, they need something. Spiritually, there's something missing. They need something. And you carry them on your heart. Maybe it's a physical need or an emotional need. Maybe it's a combination of all three. I don't know. But I'm just asking you right now, who is that person in your world? Who is that person in your life? And boy, if you could just carry anybody to Jesus and see him make a radical difference in them, man, this is who it would be, Ronnie. Well, you got a chance to be a difference maker by getting them to the difference maker. I'm going to ask you to pray for that person, whoever that person is. I want you to pray for them right now. You don't have to do what I'm about to ask you to do, but just maybe symbolically. Think about this. Jesus was at the meeting we read about. Physically, they could see him. They could touch him. Jesus is not here in in that sense, but he's here. He's in this building. You know what might mean something to you? If you got up out of your seat and you walked here to this altar and you got on your knees... 
and you presented this friend to Jesus in prayer and said, here she is. I'm asking you to make a difference in her life. Will you do that, Jesus? Man, if you want to do that, why don't you slip out of your seat? Come on, right now. There's somebody you need to carry to him. Place right in front of him and say, here they are, Jesus. I'm begging you. Anybody else? It's not necessary, but if it's something you feel compelled to do, I want you to do it. Jesus, we know you're in the house. We know that you care about our family members and our friends. You care about them as much as we care about them. You care about them more. Jesus, there are things we'd love to do for him. We can't, but you can. So here we are. We're giving them to you. Just as these men in the story put their friend right in front of you. Lord, we present them to you. Do what you want. Do what they need. Make a difference in their lives. Amaze us, Jesus, with the things you do. In your name, we pray. Amen. Amen. Stand up just a moment. Look at me. We'll have to leave here in just a minute. Seconds. We're all convinced that Jesus is the difference maker. And here's the great thing. We've been given a chance to work together with him. And make a difference in the lives of other people. So let's work together to get people to Jesus. You're dismissed.